Good morning, everybody. It's tough to, to follow that, just listening to the whole congregation singing together in one voice uh, to God. Just a, a beautiful thing. And today I get the privilege of coming up here and talking about the final chapter, the final book, or the, the final chapter in Daniel. And uh, I'd like to say that it, it just reveals everything, explains all the visions, and tells you who everybody is, and talks about the beasts and explains them in a way that we walk away going, wow, I didn't get that the first time. But that's not it. So, my name is Todd. I am one of the deacons at the church, and in here we practice a, a, a type of preaching called expositional preaching. The, the idea there is that when we look at God's word, we look at it in context that it was uh, meant for, for the original hearers and the author as well. Not that it doesn't have application to us today, which I think we'll see that it does. So going back to the book of Daniel, DJ opened the book of Daniel June 3rd. It's been five months that we've traveled through this. And uh, the book of Daniel, of course, is from the prophet Daniel. And we can remember that he is plucked out of his hometown and taken to Babylon with some other Hebrews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And there they're serving in the different courts and, and different, uh, and in the different courts of the, of the kings that are, that are in Babylon. So we've been walking through this, this, these different kings and, and uh, all these different visions that God gave to Daniel. So the book, remember, opens with this this, um, this young boy, and now we know that he's about 100 years old when he gets the, the vision, and that's what we're following up on today. So the book of Daniel, the 12th chapter, kind of finishes out the, the, the vision that started in the 10th chapter. So, so one thing about the book of Daniel is we've seen all these different things come to pass. We've seen this, this lion's den. Um, we've seen the fiery furnace, and... We've seen how God has prevailed um, in all these cases. He has rescued and preserved these men so they can testify to the greatness of their God in a pagan nation. Hence, strangers in a strange land. So Daniel Block, he says, authoritative preaching of the message of apocalyptic literature demands that we major on the major themes and be less concerned about the meaning and significance of the fine details so that's my hope today. As we leave this book, we will come away with the focus on the main things. And uh, let's read the chapter. We'll be reading the entire chapter, 1 to 13. And then I'll pray and we'll get into the text. So Daniel 12, the time at the end. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who is charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been seen such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust and the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting torment. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words, seal the book until the time at the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank 
of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to the end of all these things should be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage in Daniel. We pray as we try to understand the text today that you are open our eyes to your revelation We would embrace working through hard things like prophecy. We thank you for easy to understand things. And we pray that you would spur us on to greater understanding. And most of all, create in us a desire to study your word and know your mind. In Christ's name we pray this. Amen. So once again, this is reading this. It was, you could read 20 or 30 commentaries and come away with exactly where you were, or you could come away with a completely different opinion of where you were when you started. So it's not something that we're not going to come to the end of this book and go, aha. So I had aha moments 15 or 20 times this week, and none of them really stuck. So, so it was one of those things where uh, you just have to decide... That uh, and we'll talk about what the application is, but the important thing is to know that God is in control of this whole thing. God was in control for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And even though they were pulled away, we saw this whole life of Daniel where he flourishes in this foreign land. He increases, uh, he gets more responsibility and his, his uh, influence increases. And we see, we've, we look back and we see these, these men in Kings and, and especially Nebuchadnezzar, who, who appear to come to faith by the, by the professing and the integrity and the character of these faithful uh, Hebrews. So, my, my number one point is God alone delivers, which has been the, the thread that's ran through this whole thing. Um, we've talked before almost every week <laughs> for the last five months about that God is sovereign over pagans and over principalities and rulers, and he alone delivers people from them. We'll see moving through the text this week that what they need is to be delivered, and we see these visions, and, and uh, God is promising deliverance to his people. So several things for us today is going through, the, again, the book of Daniel. We, we have come away with the, the idea that we're strangers in a strange land, it feels like we're strangers in a strange land, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel like we're sojourners, that Christians are not in control of the world? So one of the other things is God is in control of time. 
He's in control of the past. He's in control of the present. He's in control of the future. That is something that we can stand on the bedrock of our faith is that God is sovereign and he's omnipotent. He, he can complete what he plans and what he purposes for us. So David's message two weeks ago was about worldly power, powers and how they're rich and they're, I'm sorry, powers and riches are fleeting. And we heard from DJ about these trials and tribulations that come and we, we can be reminded to be strong because we, we know who is in control of this. And all these different things just point to this God and we'll, we'll see in this text today, it points to some other things as well. So despite there being a chapter break here, if we look at the first three chapters of Daniel, or first three verses, I'm sorry, you'll see some familiar themes. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 10, you'll see that Daniel is getting this vision while he's standing on the banks of the Tigris, and the end of, uh, I'm sorry, the beginning of chapter 12 takes us right back there. So we go back to the banks of the river where Daniel is getting this vision, and we've gone through chapter 11, which is full of these kings of north and south and all these different things. And, and we've got to remember that that's a vision and this is the end of it. So if we look at chapter, or we, I'm sorry, if we look at the first three verses, this, we really need to put a cup holder on this thing. <laughs> so we see, if, we, if you look in chapter, chapter 12, verse 1, we'll start there. At the time, Michael, a great prince who was charging your people, there shall be a time of trouble such as never been seen since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your, book, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and torment. So when we look at this first three verses, there's a couple things to point out. One is Michael. Michael, who we know is, is an archangel, I always say angle, but I'm not going to this time. So he is an archangel, and he is one of two listed in the Bible, Gabriel being the other ones. And we, we've seen him twice in Daniel uh, now, and he's listed twice more in the New Testament, in Jude, and again in Revelation. And in, in Jude, we see him doing battle with Satan over Moses' body, which if you want to talk about a confusing text, look at that. We also see him in Revelation, which doesn't get any easier, right? Uh, Dan, uh, Michael in Revelation contends with Satan and his angels, a dragon and his angels. Or, uh, and he, he's the leader of, a, of an army of angels. So Michael, again, remember, when Daniel first in 10, 13, you we're reminded that he prays and before he's done praying, God sends out help for him, and it, it is coming, and uh, he promises that it'll be delivered. So if you look at 1013, it says, Do not be afraid, for from the very first day you purposed to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your prayers were heard. I have come because of those prayers. So Michael, again, means who is like God, and uh, I think that's really important, these representations of, of, of people that are in charge of 
the army that's going to fight on their behalf. Some think that the, the, chap, the chapter break here is weird, that it could continue, and chapter 12, 1 through 3 should be in chapter 11 at the end of the chapter there. But um, I think the, probably the best explanation I've seen is that this is a break that makes a lot of sense in that the, it's the end of the, the vision about the earthly rulers. So we no longer are seeing these kings that are rising up. What we've seen is this turns to a spiritual reality. Um, these people are contending in a different reality than the kings. It's not earthly. So I hope that isn't confusing. I don't mean it to be. In reality, it's a spiritual reality that's being talked about in one through three. At the end of chapter 11, we talked about Antiochus, who's this terrible, terrible guy, a ruler who's persecuting the, uh, the nation, and Michael is not coming to, do, to deal with him. So, so the other thing to tackle here is the time, at that time. That's, that, that can be one of several different things. Um, if you look in, in the second verse there, or the first verse, it talks about at that time, which could be probably 10 different interpretations. So it could be Antiochus Epiphanes and the persecution of the Jews, or it could be springboarding forward to some other kind of tribulation. So <laughs> if you read 20 different commentaries, you'll get 20 different answers. But I think it's talking about, it's looking backwards to chapter, to verse 40, where it talks about the end of Antiochus's reign. So it's important to know that that's not really important. And again, what we shouldn't do is get bogged down in types and shadows and forecasts and, and visions. And we just need to, one, believe that God alone delivers. And two, put our faith in what really matters. So one of the things is uh, whether or not that's a tribulation that's coming or in the past, I think it's fair to say that we're experiencing tribulation now. The question is whether or not it's great. So are we in the middle of a great tribulation? I, I think we're in the middle of a tribulation. Whether or not we're going to use a modifier to decide how bad it is, I don't know. The people of God have always been persecuted. So the people of God will be persecuted until the end. Where the end is, and as we look through Daniel 12, you'll see more about that, but even that's not quite clear. So we can take comfort in that we're experiencing persecution and tribulation and that God is going to deliver us. So if we look again at the, the first verse, you'll see again that... Um, I also wish we had a bigger lecture, especially for those of us that are using full pages because of vision problems, but in any case. Okay, so if we, if we turn back to verse one, at that time, there shall be a time of trouble such as never been seen, 
But at that time your people shall be delivered, and everyone whose name shall be found written in the book of life. It doesn't say of life, but that is the book it's talking about. So it's not talking about the book. And again, when we go through Daniel chapter 12, we'll talk a little bit later on about what Daniel should do with this book. But what we're talking about here is the people that are written in the book of life. And uh, one thing we can know is the book of life is mentioned elsewhere in the Bible. And uh, the resurrection is, is alluded to here. It's actually the clearest representation of a resurrection ideology in the Old Testament. Other places in the Psalms, you'll see them talk about uh, people having their, their souls ransomed from Sheol. But in this case, what we see here is that it's a pretty clear indication of, of the resurrection. It doesn't actually, I'm not sure, let's put it that way, whether or not it means at the end of this tribulation or whether this is basically just a truth that Daniel's getting, just to reassure him that there is going to be a resurrection. So it says, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting torment. So one is, Daniel's being reassured here that there is a resurrection, that there's a resurrection of, of body. So that is good news, right? I mean, Christ was resurrected. This is proof to us that we will be resurrected too. And the second thing I want to point out also is that everlasting means everlasting. So the idea here is there is an eternity, and when we talk about that, we should uh, keep in mind that that (laughs) means forever. The book itself talks about people being raised to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. And that, again, is what's at stake for us as believers. We have a gospel of life that we are proclaiming to those that are perishing. The point of the vision is to reassure Daniel that there is a future resurrection. And there's a familiar theme, one that the scripture doesn't teach annihilationism. It's not just we die. There is an everlasting component, and people have everlasting souls, and they won't be destroyed there'll be everlasting contempt and shame. So Revelation 20 mentions the book of life, and it says, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. The books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. It goes on to say, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. And there again is another word about the... uh, the everlasting shame and contempt thrown into the lake of fire. So moving on to verse four, we see that Daniel is told to shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. This is a fun passage because there's so many interpretations of what knowledge shall increase means. So those people that project this time of trouble out to a different time. So if you don't believe that it's the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, which we talked about last week and the week before, then you believe that the tribulation that's being talked about here is a future tribulation. And uh, one of the reasons that people point to that is because when they look at the knowledge shall increase, many people attribute that to the technological age. So 
Some people believe that we can see how knowledge is increasing just by the way we're living. We're living with a computer in our pocket <laughs> or in front of our face. So I don't actually believe that that's what it means. <laughs> so the, the other thing to notice here is that Daniel is told to shut up and seal the scroll. So he's told to, to shut up the words of the book. And, and you can contrast this with Revelation 22, where John is told to not seal up the scroll. And he says, in Revelation 22, it says, he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for a time is near, let the evildoer do evil, the filthy will still be filthy, and the righteous shall do will do right, and the holy will still be holy. So the idea here is to shut up the words of the book. And again, we're talking about two different books, so this is the book of Daniel, not the book of life. He's told to seal it, and the inference is that at the time is far off. So he's told to seal it because the book of Revelation, which is left open, John is told to not seal it because it has a practical application to believers from there forward. So this is an idea where Daniel is told to seal the book because he is not going to understand it until the time when it becomes useful to him. Whereas Revelation, what we see is it has immediate application. A lot of that has to do with Christ is calm. But we'll get to that in a second. But in any case, so Daniel here is told to shut up and seal the book for a time that's in the future. I think that would be pretty frustrating for you to get a vision and then to have somebody tell you, don't talk about it because you're not going to understand it or put it away until it's needed. Because we know that when we talk about uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, Daniel is long gone. So these words are prophetic for people, but not necessarily to Daniel. So the question is whether or not Daniel knew what he really needed to know at the time. And uh, 12 addresses that later on, on what he's supposed to do with that knowledge. But in this case, he's told to shut up and seal the book. Many shall run to and fro. We see the same kind of language in other places in the Old Testament, especially Amos, uh, one of the minor prophets. He's seen and he says, In this case, staggering to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. So, the idea here of running to and fro and knowledge increasing is not necessarily about everybody else. What's increasing is knowledge of the Lord. And in the same way, Amos applies it to the knowledge of the Lord, the wisdom that God brings and the darkness that unbelievers live in because they don't have that wisdom. They don't have the illumination of the Holy Spirit and they don't, they're not God-fearers. So moving on to verse five, Jeff, James Boyce says, at first reading these last nine verses are a letdown, which that's kind of entertaining, I think, <laughs> that Boyce considers this a letdown because I've been wondering about all these visions for the last five months, so it's a little discouraging to hear that it's going to be a letdown. But in fact, it won't be a letdown. So 
I think what Boyce is talking about here is that there is, this is kind of the end of this real figurative language that we see in symbolic language in Daniel. So the idea going forward here is this is pretty clear. Um, so some of it is, is less clear, but for the most part, the last nine verses in Daniel is basically where Daniel gets told what to do for the rest of his days. And what we see in, cha- in verse five is Daniel looks and beholds two others standing on the bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. Someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his hand, his left hand toward heaven, swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I think we can take comfort from 2 Timothy 3 that says this about the end of the days. Understand this, in the last days, terrible times will come for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, without love of good. That's a pretty long list of what it's going to look like at the end of the days. And I'm wondering what that looks like today. So, if you look around, and we had to check these off, this would be a sign of the end of days for our world. So I think it's fair to say that this is kind of the end of days. So 1 Peter 4.12 goes on to say, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to you to test you as if something strange were happening to you. So God's word tells us, uh, Paul here is telling Timothy that this is going to be the mark of the end of days. And whether or not it is the end of the days, that's certainly what it looks like now. We should not be surprised by the fiery ordeal. We shouldn't be surprised by persecution. We shouldn't be surprised by tribulation. We are promised it. Christ himself tells us in John that we'll experience it and reminds us with a promise that he has overcome it. So if we see the man here in the, in the water who's clothed in linen, and you might remember back to, Jesus, to DJ, almost called you Jesus, preaching. <laughs> preaching about whether or not this is Jesus. So whether or not the man in the water is Jesus, he had a face that was shining and, and pointing towards revelation. I know that's on tape too. But uh, <laughs> pointing towards revelation where this this uh, image of Jesus with a face that shone like the sun. And uh, like DJ, if I had to be backed into a corner, I would say that I believe that this is Christ and we see that he is in authority and people are asking him questions. We also see some Old Testament stuff here, the two witnesses. So there's a man on one side, man on the other. They are the two witnesses that... uh, that Deuteronomy requires for it to be legal and binding. The time, times, and 
half a time is another point of contention depending on where you are as far as your eschatology goes. Generally, we understand this to mean three and a half. The big question is whether it means three and a half as in the actual three and a half or whether it means three and a half days, years, months, or whether it means uh, halfway through the complete time, which would be seven. So I am not sure, but I will say that I do believe, <laughs> I know I've said that a couple times already, and I'll say it again before the end of the sermon, but, but I do believe that this is talking about Antiochus Epiphanes. And I do believe that what they're talking about here, what's being forecasted for Daniel is this, this persecution that he brings in the uh, second century. So Antiochus Epiphanes, who we, we know um, we've heard before that he, he terribly persecutes the Jews, including uh, a three-year genocide of uh, 40,000 people and another 40,000 to slavery because he was embarrassed by a Syrian king. So we see this three and a half, this time, times and a half, and I believe it to be the desecration of the temple itself. The, and you heard before about the, the uh, sacrifices of the, the pigs on the temple. And ultimately that leads to the Maccabean revolt and uh, where Antiochus is stopped. And again, what shouldn't be missed is that this man in the water has authority. He speaks. They're, the, the people that are with him that we're assuming are angels are asking him because they believe that he knows the answer. They believe he's got the answers to the question or else they wouldn't ask it. And we know that Daniel doesn't have the answers. Verse 9 continues with, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time at the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. Friends, 1 Corinthians, Paul tells them, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. This is the wisdom that we have that Daniel did not. And again, in verse 9, he points back to an earlier time, verse 4, where he tells them to shut up the words of the book and that they would be sealed until the time at the end. James 3.17 says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, is pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. This is what we have that is not lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, and so on. In Colossians, Paul tells the church, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is the wisdom that they don't have that we have. 
None of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. Daniel didn't have this wisdom, but we know that he knew God and had a relationship with God. And we know that he was obedient to God, and God blessed him for it. Verse 11 goes on to say, And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at 1,335 days. So a time, times, and half a time, the three and a half, three and a half years is generally understood to be 1,260 days. And we see here that this is mentioned. So 1,260 days from the 1,290 would be 1,260 plus 30 and 1,260 plus 75 for the 1,335. And I honestly don't know whether this is an actual date. I don't know what date this starts from. I don't know what date this goes to. And I don't think anybody else does either. We do know that for three and a half years or thereabouts that Antiochus slaughtered pigs on the temple altar. We do know that he persecuted the Jews and again killed 40 or 50,000 of them. We also know that there's been a period of time elsewhere where things have happened, and that is probably the reason for some of the interpretive challenges. We know that Titus sacked Jerusalem in 67 to 70 AD. So all these dates and all these questions about which of this is referring to, we also know that David talked before about an antichrist and a type of antichrist, and that's mentioned also in 1 John about types of antichrist. So the big question is, is there a big A or a little a? And I don't know. But I do know, in my mind, it's not the when, it's the what. So whether or not this 1260 or 1290 and 1335 applies to Antiochus Epiphanes, whether or not it applies to the destruction of Jerusalem, I don't know that it means that much. I don't know that it means that much to us because we're called to do the same thing regardless of if this is tomorrow or 100 years from now. So I I wonder when we think about this why Daniel couldn't quite get it, but who would get it when we think about how salvation comes in the form of a baby. So why Daniel didn't understand, I think why he was supposed to set up the, uh, set up the, why he's supposed to seal up the book is, is because it's not helpful to know. And if you look, in verse 13, Daniel is given the answer to how these things end. Or at least what he's supposed to do with it. And he's told, go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. This is again repeated from verse 9. 
and there's, I think it's repeated for emphasis, Daniel is told here to just go his own way. And his way is the way that leads to life. It's, his way is to fear God. His way is to obey God. And that, again, is the call to us today. So we heard Dave talk about persecution and suffering, and he talked about we should, we should expect it. It shouldn't be a surprise. He challenged us to expect it as if looking forward to it. And that is a very hard thing to do. Our default is to want to be taken out of it. But in this life, it's promised. So are we, are we looking forward to a prophecy ending before we fulfill our calling as the people of God? And are we looking forward, are we waiting for it to be fulfilled before we trust God with our suffering? Are we waiting for it to be filled before we find rest in Christ? Do we not find rest in Christ because we're busy um, thinking about things in our lives, suffering and tribulation and persecution. And what should we do with this? So Daniel started with prayer. Prayer is the first thing you can do that acknowledges that there is a God. Otherwise, who would you be praying to? Daniel Daniel was told by Gabriel that that when he started to pray, the Lord moved on his behalf. He sent him help. Now, Gabriel even tells him that he didn't get there instantaneously, right? So it wasn't that he was immediately delivered by prayer. It's that God sent him help, even though he didn't know when that was coming. And prayer has a special place in the Bible. It's talked about in Revelation also, Revelation 5.8 and Revelation 8.4 talks about it being the aroma of the saints. It has the appearance or it talks about it as if it's being burned as incense in the throne room of God. How much more, how much more important could prayer be than that? That God delights himself in the prayer of his people. So much so that our prayers are in his throne room burning like incense. So the second thing we can do also is we can wait. This message in Daniel, this vision is all about Daniel waiting and waiting well. He's told to go his own way and that means he has to wait for God to deliver him and he doesn't know when it's going to happen. And that looks a lot like what we do every single day. Daniel even asks the question, how long? How long will this go on? And we see that echoed throughout the Psalms, David. David lamenting and asking for deliverance from the Lord and the Lord promising deliverance. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry, Psalm 40. Isaiah 64 talks about a God who acts for those who wait on him. 
And the last thing we need to do is go. <laughs> Matthew 20, 28 reminds us that Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of all nations. He tells us to teach, to baptize, and he promises to be with us. Vance Havner, an evangelist at the turn of the 20th century, says, I know that some are always studying the meaning of the fourth toe of the right foot of some beast in prophecy and have never used either foot to go and bring men to Christ. I do not know who the 666 is in Revelation, but I know the world is 666, and the best way to speed the Lord's return is to win more souls to him. I'm guilty of this myself for the last five months. I've been gobbling up commentaries to try and figure it out. Who is this? Who is that? Who's the horn? Who's the horn with the eyes? Who's the four-headed beast? But in fact, does it really matter other than just knowing? So think about this this week as you're, as you're thinking about Daniel and meditating on it and reading it again, if you ever choose to. At some point you probably will. <laughs> but are we forsaking the clear teaching for the less clear teaching? How do we guard against making an idol of prophecy that isn't telling us what we need to do? That might be telling us either what happened or what's going to happen. But we have clear teaching from Christ telling us, go. Go and make disciples. He gives us this commission. And again, he promises us. Daniel did not have the great commission. Isaiah says this, for, us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it, with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal, the Lord of hosts, has done this. So Daniel's on the other side of it. We're on this side of the cross looking back. Daniel's looking forward. And I think the reason the book is sealed, the answer to, to the tribulation at the end of times comes in the form of a baby in a manger. This baby will grow up, will become a man, and will go to his death for you on a cross. I don't know that I could have got that <laughs> if I was in even a prophet of God. I'm sure he would have had understanding, but would he really have understood that the plan of salvation is for God to send his son in the form of a baby to die for their sins. The root of this message, my friends, is all prophecy finds its ultimate fulfillment in Christ Jesus. And we can look at this time and all these times in history and we can see the hand of God running through it, leading up to 
this time when Christ will die for our sins and give us this message of hope to a perishing world that needs to hear it. Some of these, these uh, <laughs> totally forgot that word. Uh, those things that happen, that coincidence, sorry. So some of the coincidences that run through the Bible that we can see that aren't coincidences. Daniel, in fact, was buried in Susa, Iran. So that's where they have his tomb. That's where he died. And we know we've heard that word before too. If you, you can find that in Esther 1. It says, Now on the day of Ashurus, who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces, in those days when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel. This is what opens the book of Esther. Why is that important to us? Well, it's important because Esther saves the Jews from a plot of Haman to destroy the nation. And because of that, Xerxes gives her the house of Haman and institutes the Feast of Purim. And we look back and we see the Maccabean revolt and this time at the end of Antiochus' reigns where the feast of, or the celebration of Hanukkah is instituted. So Esther saves the Jews. Along with that time, we see the Jews from the diaspora being sent back to their nation, being sent back to build it, rebuild the temple, rebuild the wall. They're going back to repopulate the regions that they've been pulled from. Bethlehem, Galilee. Can you see what's coming? The Jews are being sent back. The people are being sent back to repopulate the regions. Some of those people, probably the ancestors of Mary and Joseph. So God made a provision for him, for them. In Galatians it says, but when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. If you want to see the sovereignty of God, look around, because you are witnessing it today. This is the church of Jesus Christ. Together, we are fulfilling the Great Commission. While we wait, we need to hope, and we need to rest in Christ while we wait. Trust in his promises while we wait. In this promise from Daniel 13, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Romans 5 says, but God shows us his love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled by God, Reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And Tim Keller says, Only in Jesus Christ do we see how the untamable, infinite God can become a baby 
and a loving Savior. On the cross, we see both the love and the holiness of God can be fulfilled at once. And that is worth waiting for, my friends. And though we see through a mirror dimly lit, all this is going to be made clear. So let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for your testimony of faithfulness from Daniel. Just pray that we would hear and see the call to obey and to hope and trust and wait as we're going. And I pray that we wouldn't get lost in the the sea of dates in the book of Daniel and the unclear things in the book of Daniel, Lord. But we just pray for that we would press upon us the, the call to, one, just rejoice in the, the, the miracle of you sending your son to die for us so that we might be reconciled to you for an eternity. Please help us to focus on the clear teaching, not get wrapped up in things that are contentious. And just pray that we would just receive this beautiful gift that you've given us, this gospel for anybody that that comes to it, Lord. Just pray that you bring belief and faith and that we leave here with more of it. Pray this in your name, amen.